we've been unpacking different things, right? We've unpacked what the gospel is. We've unpacked who Jesus as the Christ is. We've looked at some questions that God has of us. We've even looked at the church a little bit. And now I want to look this week at a, at a statement that... Okay. What am I doing? Okay. Uh, we're going to look at... <laughs> I'm highly professional. We're going to look at a statement that's said a lot among people who love Jesus, and it's not always the most helpful statement. But I think it can be, and I think it should be. And I think if we view it different, it is like the most freeing statement. And uh, the statement is simply that God is good. God's good, right? And yet sometimes we say that as a way to shut down a conversation or to shut down somebody. And, and we're going to just talk about this for a few minutes and, and uh, walk through this together because I think there's real gifts in the fact that God is good if we use it not as a barrier but as a bit of a door. So I started thinking about this when, about a month ago, I read through the narrative of Sojourner Truth. Have any of you ever read that? It's, it's not super long. It's maybe 30, 40 pages, something like that. It's a beautiful read of, of just hearing Sojourner Truth. Truth didn't read or write, but she gave her account to somebody else who had lived with her in Kentucky and lived as as Sojourner was trying to free slaves and was trying to fight for women's rights and all of this kind of stuff and had this faith that was just growing and growing and growing. And when Sojourner talks about her early life, she described God as a great man, greatly superior to other men in power. God not only saw but noted down all her actions in a great book, even as her master kept a record of whatever he wished not forget. And so when she thought of power and authority and somebody who could bring about change, she immediately thought of slave owners. And like this is tough for us to talk about right now, right? But this is our history. And so her thoughts were, well, God is like the best of a slave owner. That's the best imagination. That's as far as her imagination could go. Because that's who's in power. That's who has authority. That's who can enact change. So God's the best of those. And as we know now, like, the best of a slave owner is still a slave owner. Like, we're still, like, come on now. Like, that, that's not anything that we're going to, like, brag about. But that's the best that she could imagine at that point in her life. And so she was going through life trying to appeal to this God who was like the best. And then she had this experience. She was out in the woods, kind of slow walking through a time, moving from one space to another, but not in a hurry. And all of a sudden she experienced... God's vastness, as she described it, and was really overwhelmed. 
was overwhelmed that God is vast and she's so limited, that God is so holy and she is not. She actually felt like God should strike her down. All of this stuff that some of us have felt some of these feelings before. And then this beautiful paragraph that I I, I would love for each of you to, to read. She has a vision of a friend. And when she sees the friend, she imagines that this friend is a very specific friend of her parents. And her parents had died long ago. She had been sold to another slave owner, so she was distant from them. But she imagined that this friend was her parents' friend. Why? Because that was a kind person in her life. And so she envisioned that this friend that she saw was her parents' friend. But as Sojourner looked longer, she saw that this friend that she was seeing was not the woman that her parents were friends with. It was someone other. And then Sojourner said that, I know you but I don't know you. And kept saying, I know you, but I don't know you. I know you, but I don't know you. And then for the first time in her life, she said, but you're Jesus. And if you read the account, it's so interesting. She doesn't realize that other people know who Jesus is at the time. She actually gets jealous when someone else feels loved by Jesus too, as if the love is really limited. Tell me that we don't have that sometimes. You, you experience so much of Jesus, I'm jealous, I want that much, like not realizing there's enough for all of us. She goes through all of this in this really powerful, intimate experience where she experiences Jesus as vastly other. And then she goes on and lives this life where she confronts hardship over and over with courage, but it's not like this weird courage that like she just always has, it's, it's one that I could relate to where she feels fear or feels potential consequence and then says, no, but God gives me the courage and goes and boldly lives for God and big change comes about by her life and this encounter with this friend who happens to be Jesus. I bring all of this up in relating to God's goodness because I think if you are like me, we have pictured God as an authority, right? Because God is an authority. But if you're like me, I drop all of the stuff that I think of as an authority onto God. All my baggage, all my stuff goes onto God, and God is the best of the authorities that I could imagine. And what that means in my life, oftentimes, is that you don't question. Because the way to be obedient, which the Bible talks about, is to not question, right? You don't question the authority. That's the way to be in line. And as soon as you question the authority, well, you're disobedient or you're out. I saw this two weeks ago when I was at a a family funeral. My cousin died on on Friday, or on Saturday. He, He fell Friday. He was a musician and was about to play a gig, he was setting up and he collapsed and his heart, um, he had two, two arteries that were clogged, his brain had swelled from COVID and he died by Saturday. And came to church with you all Sunday and then frantically figured out how to get to Minnesota, went to the funeral, saw family. And I saw this one beloved family member that I deeply love who's been huge in my life. And I, I'm running to get coffee because that's what we do. And uh, 
they were running to get some coffee too, and I, was, I knew that they had some hard stuff in their life over the last couple of years, and I, haven't, I don't see them real often. I said, hey, I, and, and I've been praying for you and thinking of you a lot, and I know that this is hard. And they opened up a little bit. I'm like, yeah, this isn't what I imagined for my kids. This isn't, I didn't think life would be like this. And then instantly I saw the familiar shutdown. And they said, but God's good. And instantly got semi-happy and shut down any emotion and shut down any feeling because that's, frankly, that's a threat to God's goodness. In some of our understanding, that's questioning God's goodness. And so this beloved family member just wouldn't go there anymore because God's good. And slammed the door on all the pain and all the situations and all the everything in life because you can't question if God is good. I'm telling you that God is good. I know that. I've experienced that. But does God intend God's goodness to be this thing that just shuts everything down for us? Or is there something a little more? I want to invite you to open up to the Psalms. If you're ever wondering on emotion, go there. Uh, anywhere. But we're not going to go just anywhere. We're going to go to Psalm 33, and we're going to look at a couple of verses in Psalm 33, 34, 35, and 36. So get ready to push the button on your phone or flip a page in your, in your Bible. You probably want to, I know Jennifer's teased me that I often say close your eyes and imagine. This time you probably want to read it, uh, read it yourself. Um, if nothing else, to prove that I don't do the same thing every week. But Psalm 33, 1 through 3, writes this. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. If we read the first three verses of the very next psalm, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. But then we get to Psalm 35. And let's start in verse 17. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my life from the lions. Then I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Do not let my treacherous enemies rejoice over me, or those who hate me without cause wink the eye, for they do not speak peace but they conceive deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, do not be silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. And then in Psalm 36, we read your steadfast love, O Lord, extend to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans 
and animals alike, O Lord. So go ahead and read through those again if you want. We have four ancient hymns. This is what they are, right? These are, this is a songbook. We have four ancient hymns, back to back to back to back. And the themes are rejoice and play your instruments. The next one is bless the Lord at all times. Then the next one is question God's presence. Your enemies are big. And then the next one is right back to unending steadfast love of the Lord. And if you read through the Psalms, it's like that. It's like watching table tennis. It goes back and forth. I will praise God every day. Where'd you go? God, you are the best. These enemies are huge. I love to live in your presence. I can't feel your presence. Right? And is, is David and the other psalmists, are they confused? Are they ill? No. They're engaged in life. That's what this is. So this last psalm that we read talks about this unending steadfast love. If you've been with us for the last few months, that probably sounds familiar. In Slow Invasion last summer, we talked about how that is the Hebrew word hased. That is what we talked about last month being how God attaches to us. The steadfast love where we are attached to God. We are branches connected to the vine. We are not separated. God loves you so much that you are attached. Those of you who have a background in psychology, this is scholars right now are thinking that this is like attachment theory in scripture. That this is where we see some of that. That God has us connected together to God and through God to one another. But in these Psalms, Walter Brueggemann, who's a scholar, says in the Psalms we see this celebration of God has said being visible. We see a celebration that I can see this steadfast love. I can see this attachment. I can see this goodness of God. And then it is an insistence on God's has said being so absent. I can't see it. I can't feel it. I don't know where it is. And Brueggemann says that the Psalms are a constant going back and forth of I need this and I can't always see it. Now, is David being over-emotional? I don't, I don't think so. I think David is exploring the depths of God's loving kindness. I think David is exploring how deeply attached God is. If we were to rewrite this and put them together, I think what we're seeing in in Psalm 35, the one that we probably feel guilty saying prayers like this unless we're quoting scripture. I think what we're seeing is, God, are you still attached to me even when my enemies are loud? I feel like the lions are after me. And I don't know if I feel you the same. How long will it be before I know that you're with me, that your power, that your justice, that your might is flexed for me? How long am I to live tired, worn out? If David was in our day, I think what David would be saying is, for how long will I live without this peace that you speak of? How long will I wonder where my meal is coming from, where my security comes from? How long will other people have power over me? 
When will I know you and your people in the way that you've promised? Now I know if that was said at the funeral that I attended a couple weeks ago, it would have been shut down just before it felt honest. And the response would have been, but God is good. And I would argue, because God is good, we can say all that. God's goodness is more real than the struggles in my life. But the struggles in my life are plenty real. God's attachment and commitment to you are more real than anything else in your life. And yet the other things in your life are plenty real. The struggles at work with family, mental health, physical, emotional health. They're real. And because God is good, we can look. So this phrase, God is good, I want us to see this as an invitation. What if God's goodness isn't the final answer, isn't the stopper to the conversation, but it's the beginning? Because God is good, if we were writing it, then it would have the dot, 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 right? Because God is good, we can talk about anything. And particularly two invitations, I feel. Because God is good, that's an invitation to be honest. God's good. Anything that I say isn't going to remove his goodness. And so, it's time to be honest about where we're hurting. Without all the caveats, without, I know God, okay, God is good. New, new, this church doesn't really have rules. New guideline. New, new principle. Let's assume that when we're talking, we're talking under the umbrella that God is good. So then you can talk freely and say, hey, this week was really tough. Two weeks ago when I came in here, there were a few of you. I didn't give the caveat. My, Mike was there, and I was like, hey, I, I'm struggling. My cousin just died, and I'm hurting, and I'm feeling a thousand things, and we're talking about the church today, and I, I don't really know how to do it. I went home, and I didn't even have words because I just run out really quick, and, and usually I can't feel and talk at the same time, so I just didn't talk. And I'm, it's okay to do that because God's good. If I don't know that God's good, that's much scarier. If I don't know that God's good, it's much scarier to go into the depths of, of looking at things in my own life, let alone systemic things. But we know that God is good, so we can look at all of this. We can be honest about our lives. We can be honest about where our life doesn't line up with what Scripture promises. God, you are good, but this shalom you talk about, our world doesn't know it right now. God, you're good, but like people are, are killing each other, and not just in Ukraine, like all over. God, you're good, but people are hoarding resources and like making money off of like this, this war with Russia and Ukraine. Other people are pocketing cash. Th this isn't right, God. We can say all of that because God's goodness is bigger. All of that is under the umbrella of God's goodness. And some of us need to feel that invitation, to be honest. Now, the beauty is, in this community, those of us who have been here a while, we're, we're fairly honest. 
we're fairly good about saying, oh, no, I'll tell you. Let me roll up my sleeves. You've had a week? Oh, well, hold my coffee. I'll tell you mine. But there's another invitation in this. And that's an invitation to discover. So the day that I found out that my cousin died, I came in a, in a text. I was at a birthday party for, for my, my friend, little Joel Schulze, Eric and Whitney's little daughter. I'm at the birthday party. I get a text. I go out on the deck. And I just sit there and mope for a couple minutes because I'm sad. And I can be sad because God's good. It's okay. Even at a kid's birthday party, I can be sad. There's space for it. But I remember sitting on the porch, and right before I was on that deck, right before, they, they had a little treasure hunt. And all these kids at the time were, like, hitting each other with plastic, uh, not plastic, like, uh, they, were, they were like those pool noodles, but they were swords, right? So they're hitting each other and hitting me and hitting everybody with these fun little swords. And as that's happening, Durant and a bunch of dads went around and hid little treasures in the yard. And then Whitney said, here is what the treasures look like. Go find them. And all of a sudden, a bunch of kids, like, waddled into the yard, you know. And they're picking up treasures. And every time they picked up a treasure, they brought it back. And they did a little dance, excited about the treasure. And then they went and found another. And they did this for, like, ten minutes, tripping over each other, falling in dirt, picking up stuff, finding treasures everywhere. And once they knew what the treasures looked like, they, they knew how to find them. The treasure had like a little bit of shine on it. And like, oh, I just got to look for the, the shine. And uh, this is what I'm thinking their three-year-old brains are saying, right? It's what it looked like from my vantage point. But they're, they're all out there. And they picked them all up. And I don't think they missed any because they knew what they were looking for. And they all came up and they had a handful of treasure. And they were super excited. And then they went on and ate birthday cake. There is an invitation for us to pause and look in our life for God's goodness. God is good. We can be honest about all the spaces we don't find it. The other thing we can, and I would say even need to do, is pause and look, God, where is your goodness? Let me look. So I did this this week because it'd be really hypocritical for me to recommend this stuff and not do it myself, right? And I was like, okay, I'm going to spend like a half hour looking for God's goodness. And, and beforehand, I, I did a little temperature check on myself. Before I did this, I was like, I'm kind of stressed out. I'm kind of overwhelmed. I'm physically tired. All those things are true. And then I was like, okay, God, where's your goodness? I started thinking and reflecting. And I didn't even get a half hour in. Because God's goodness is everywhere. I'm not like being cliche. I'm thinking about my family. I'm thinking about my friends. I'm thinking about what God did in giving me that gift of being there for the funeral. Funerals aren't fun, but I got to see family I hadn't seen in 15 years. I, I, I have the ability to do that. I'm, my foot's healed from when I broke last fall. All of these kind of things are coming to my mind. And I'm realizing there is so much of God's goodness that I just had to hit play on my phone and play some music and just worship just be excited and if you know me I'm not often hitting worship music on my phone it's great when you do I'm just not one who usually does but that day I did because there's nothing but like oh I, I am tired but that's not the most true thing about me that's true-ish reality is I'm filled with God's I need to go to bed early tonight that's it 
I'm not overwhelmed. I'm blessed. Help me start to see where my default setting is. You know default settings that you have in like any set of electronics? We all have a default setting. Coming out of COVID, unfortunately, my default setting is a little bit worn out, a little bit cynical, uh, a little bit extra introverted. And I look that day and like, oh, that's my default, but that's not how I feel right now. I came out of a funeral and other things that I feel like I should be worn out and crabby and behind, but I don't feel any of that. I feel actually like kind of giddy. I feel actually overly happy. I feel grateful. I feel like I can see God's goodness. And all the things we need to be honest about are still true. But they're not the most true thing. So God is good. But when we say that God is good, that's not a statement to say, now shut down. That's a statement to start the conversation and say, because God's good, that's permission and look. Where are you not feeling that? Where are you not knowing that? Let's talk about it and bring that to our Father. And then at the same time, God is good. And let's mine for God's goodness. And we'll see God's goodness everywhere when we start looking. feel like one or both of those are an invitation for all of us. So there's a song that I have been listening to a little bit loud in my headphones of late, and then the worship team picked it to be one that we play today, and I was like, can we do it after the sermon? Because I just love this thing. And it's a song about looking back on our life a little bit. It's a song, frankly, that I think deals with some of the stuff that we have some of the changes where things aren't what they used to be, and yet God is good. And so I want to invite you to listen to this, or if you want to sing along, sing along, or dance around, do whatever you want to do. But we're going to have this moment for you to reflect, and then we're going to have some communion together, okay? All right.